All right, welcome to the QTR podcast. Happy to have you with me today. First and foremost, I want to shout out my patrons. Patrons are people that donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to give them a quick shout and we'll get on our way today. I'm actually very stoked about uh, today's episode. It's a little bit of an ethnocentric episode because it involves my city, uh, which is very important to me, and it may not involve the rest of you, but who knows? Maybe it will be the first of many interviews of a uh, young political up-and-comer. We'll have to... uh, We'll have to figure it out. The last candidate I had on the podcast lost. So <laughs> this podcast brought to you by my official gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. With all of the chaos right now in markets and especially in the banking system, there's never been a better time to own gold or silver bullion, in my opinion. And of course, I'm not a financial advisor. But I order my gold and silver bullion exclusively from JM Bullion. They've been in business for a decade. They've done over $7 billion in sales. And QTR podcast listeners can email Laura directly, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. Shoot her an email. If you don't, of course, you can go through the website. They have great inventory. Uh, you know, their prices are very competitive. Uh, even when other places are out and are getting uh, a lot of demand, they always have very good inventory. But if you want a personal touch, email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. Tell her you're a QTR podcast listener, and she'll make sure that you get taken care of. Let her know what your needs are, and uh, and she'll help you out. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Sangluchi Steam Room, the best investor community. And also, I was watching Lucci's Twitch stream the other day from the trade space in Puerto Rico. So check out Sang Lucci at Sang Lucci on Twitter. That's in my podcast description as well. You can watch him trade his million-dollar account live on a daily basis on Twitch, which is free. And, of course, if you dig his style, you can always join the Steam Room, which is his incredible community of traders, uh, many of whom are experts in reading tape and especially the options market. I love the Steam Room. It's been around just as long as I have uh, in the financial world. Over a decade now, I've known these guys. Uh, Actually, it'll be, I think, a decade in May that I joined FinTwit. And Lucci was one of the first guys that I met. Uh, Didn't know what the hell he was doing at the time. Didn't know what the hell I was doing at the time. But still loves saying Lucci. This podcast also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. And again... A great resource when the world of finance and economics is spinning out of control. George has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and all of us here at Enderby and Friends to help you control your wealth in a world of out-of-control central bank. Preserve what you have when things like inflation are eating away at your purchasing power. You know, the White House came out and said last week about these bank bailouts the taxpayer isn't going to bear the cost for him. It's like, okay, yeah, as in like, they're not going to mail you a bill in the mail, but we are paying for it one way or another. George helps decipher how the macro economy works, how monetary policy works. Uh, Rebel Capitalist is a great resource. I love their forums. I read them all the time. Uh, I love following their mock portfolios, and I love George's YouTube channel, Rebel Capitalist. And also at George Gammon, they do live question and answer sessions. It's free if you want to try it out or you want to try out the Sanglucci Steam Room or you want a deal on gold and silver bullion. Tell these guys that I sent you. And I'm not saying that because I want referral money. I don't get referral money from any of them. I'm telling you because I have spoken to my the people that 
advertise with me and said, look, if I have listeners that come over and they want to try it for a week, make sure that they get a week free. Don't bamboozle them. Don't require a credit card. Just let them get whatever they want. And so they are willing to work with you. Check in with my sponsors. Tell them the Q-Man sent you. This podcast obviously is not financial advice. If you haven't figured it out over the last three or four years, I have no clue what I'm doing. I hold no registrations, no licenses. I get many things wrong often. Um, And that's really, I think, the only disclaimer we need. Oh, yeah, can't forget about that pesky three-drink minimum that we have. And uh, although I have not met the minimum yet, I can assure you I will be meeting it later. So you guys are going to have to take me on my word for that one. It's a it's a bit uh, bit early for me because I still have some actual work to do today. But after that is done, I will be enjoying. I think I will be drinking a. Uh, I'm gonna have. I you know what I've been drinking this fat, not fat head. I think IPA. I don't know. I've been going to Maniunk a lot and drinking there. Uh, we'll talk about it with uh, Sam Orapiza, who's coming up. All right, happy to have on the line with me today, uh, running for Philadelphia City Council at large, Sam Orapiza, and former uh, mixed martial artist as well, former pro fighter. Uh, Sam, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, I'm stoked uh, to speak to you. You know, I, I have a policy on the podcast that most of my listeners know <laughs> where uh, I don't edit and uh, I don't give a lot of prep work because I uh, I don't want to uh, I don't want to have a conversation that's not put down on the podcast. And so we haven't spoken for more than 10 seconds uh, up until right now. Is that right? That 100% correct, and I like it. I, I like shooting from the hip sometimes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> You'll do just fine, man. Uh, listen, I wanted to have you on for uh, a couple of reasons. First off, let me just get this out of the way. I didn't know that you're a balanced uh, brown belt. Are you still a brown belt? Yes, I am. And, uh, you know, shame on me for not dedicating more time to go for that black belt. I mean, I, I try to stay as busy as I can with training. Um, but you know, that, that jump from Brown to black, you got to be very dedicated. And, uh, I really haven't had the time to, to focus in on it, you know, with the family work and running for office. Yeah. That's, it's funny though, because I've been, uh, I've been following your campaign on Twitter and, uh, you know, saw that you won the endorsement of, uh, you know, the, uh, FOP lodge five here in Philadelphia, which is a, a huge endorsement. And also from the Penn uh, police department, which is a great endorsement. And of course the city is in dire need of help and, and we'll get to that. But, uh, I had no idea that you were a pro fighter and, uh, I went to go look up your, your bio today. I did see a picture of you wearing the Muay Thai pads a couple days ago. So I was like, ah, you know, maybe he just, you know goes and trains once in a while and I looked up your bio today and I said oh this guy's a balanced brown belt which is crazy because I train uh, do you know Josh and Angie Vogel by any chance yes very well yeah I train with them uh, every once in a while over at uh, their new place that they opened on second street that's that's awesome man and hey man jujitsu is one of the best things you can do building your network feeling better about yourself and just knowing how to survive living in Philadelphia every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Never, uh, there's never been a better time to train for self-defense than there is now, which is, uh, it's interesting because, you know, Old City, where I live, used to be the place that you would go 
to, uh, you know, and not have to worry about crime. Uh, you know, Old City used to be the nice portion of the city, and I've lived all over the city. I, I know, you, I think you're from uh, up up in the Northeast, but uh, or you live in the Northeast, according to your uh, your Twitter. But, you know, I've lived all over the city. I've lived in South Philly. I've lived in Germantown. Uh, and nowadays, living in Old City, I feel like I have to watch my back more now than than I ever have, than living in any of these other neighborhoods. So what the hell is going on in Philadelphia, Sam? And and how how is your platform going to help out? Yeah, so, you know, to answer the first question, what the hell is going on? And, and like you said before, I mean, uh, Old City is a neighborhood where you should feel safe. Everyone should feel safe in Old City. So, um, you know, what, what I'm seeing, and again, my office where I work in, and I have worked for the past six years is in Kensington. It's where I'm doing the phone interview with you at right now, um, right off of Kensington Avenue. And the it ultimately comes down to the way narcotics get trafficked into Philadelphia um, and sold. And, uh, you know, we, we have a rogue district attorney that uh, will not prosecute gun crime. So um, it's, uh, it's an issue that is creating an environment where it is convenient to be a criminal. It is convenient to come here. Right. It's convenient to break the law, and uh, there's no recourse. There is no consequences. And again, um, working in Kensington, I was here when the pandemic started, and they had a press conference saying they weren't going to arrest people for selling drugs, prostitution, shoplifting, and these quality-of-life crimes that destroy neighborhoods. And um, uh, this is where we are, where you can't. You, you don't feel safe walking down the street. You don't feel safe walking to your car at night or driving your car. Um, and again, we have a district attorney that allows repeat violent offenders to uh, go right back on the streets. So, like, what can we do? Again, I'm running for city council at large, and it's not like I'm going to be the mayor or the district attorney. But what I can be is a voice and an advocate for our residents who want to live in a safer neighborhood and we have put together a crime plan and really our crime plan centers around uh, targeting the violent repeat offenders because they, they shouldn't be on our streets causing us harm. And they are, you know, every time you see a story about somebody getting mugged on the subway or, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a woman, you know, a 30-year-old woman that just got this shit kicked out of her in Rittenhouse Square. She was walking yeah. through Rittenhouse Square, and she got raided by a group of teenagers that beat her. And, you know, I, I can't speak for anybody else but myself, but as somebody that has, you know, trained like you have, I, I, I was never a professional, but I've competed in jiu-jitsu tournaments, and I train a little bit. As somebody that has familiarity with fighting, uh, I I feel like to me those types of things hit me in a different way uh, because you know how truly senseless uh, those things are th those those types of violent crimes are and and you know to be frank with you I think it I think it upsets me in a way that I'm not sure that the average person that doesn't have an ex you know any any experience uh, you know training or fighting 
and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because of my familiarity with with what it feels like. But you know, to watch a defenseless, middle aged uh, not middle aged young woman in her thirties just get jumped in Rittenhouse. And for those of you that you know, my audience is all over the world. But Rittenhouse Square is one of the nicest, one of the most yeah. affluent parks in the city. Um, you know, and then and then you. you it's like it's almost a foregone conclusion, Sam, that these people are going to be let out, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and again, what you're saying, and and having an understanding, like fighting professionally, I, I know the the harm that can come from right. uh, punching someone, hitting them in the head, kicking them, um, and and seeing how this is, you know, it's a game here in Philadelphia. It's it's upsetting to me, and, and the reason why it's so upsetting to me is, you know, being the youngest of six kids raised by a single mom, I grew up in a single-parent household where you see how the violence that's happening in Philadelphia, you see the, the issues that we're facing. It's it's young men, sometimes even boys, that are, you know, robbing people, shooting people, carrying guns. Um, and, and we have a major problem where the children here in Philadelphia – need strong, positive male role models to reinforce the importance of putting discipline in your life, putting purpose in your life, understanding accountability and earned achievement. And we're not having that. And again, it goes back to the point that we were making when you allow dangerous people back out on the streets, um, they're, they're now becoming what used to be, you know, the, your basketball coach or your football coach, uh, the person that ran the rec center. Now um, you, you have people who are these violent, dangerous felons taking that job over and being the role model for these kids and setting the example and giving them the blueprint of what to follow. Yeah, and I just don't know what compels the city to, you know, when you take the political affiliations out of the picture, what compels the city to reward the party in power and the police commissioner in power and the district attorney in power for what's going on in the city right now. I, I just, you know, I, 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 going back to the midterms here, um, after watching John Fetterman in that debate with Dr. Oz, um, yeah. and you know, I, look, I know there were a lot of people that probably voted for him, through the mail before they got a chance to unfortunately see, you know, what type of state he was in. And I feel terrible for the guy and I I wish him well. And I, 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 you know, I I hope he gets well. I really do. But, you know, I I thought to myself that there, there has to be no way that this guy is going to carry a lot of the vote in Philadelphia, not just because uh, he, he doesn't seem qualified and he doesn't seem with it, but also just because of how the city is falling apart. And they, they voted him right into office. He ran the table in Philadelphia. Yeah. There are Fetterman signs everywhere in this city. And you just think to yourself, what, Sam, how do you connect with these voters that you're going to have to connect with if, if, if we want to affect change, if you want to walk towards the center of the aisle a little bit and get through to some of these people? If the crime and the senselessness isn't getting through to them, how are you going to do it? Yeah, so, you know, there, there's a couple things that I'd like to point out that you're talking about. It's the 
really the political climate in Philadelphia, right? We are a Democrat-ran city. And I ran for state Senate last May, and I got 44% of the vote. It was a three-month campaign. And I saw firsthand what it's like running against a Republican uh, or running against a Democrat, excuse me, here in Philadelphia. And it's it's hard. It's very difficult. It is. It, you need a lot of money. You need a lot of people on the streets uh, being able to spread that message. And again, you're running against a well-oiled political machine that has been in operation. Uh, the first Democrat mayor we had uh, in Philadelphia was 1952, and we have not seen any other party in the mayor's office besides, you know, the Democrat Party. So <clears throat> the thing that I have running for city council at large is this is a non-majority seat. So this is the seat where the Democrat Party cannot win. So it's the minority party, which the Republican Party, they have, we had David O there, but he left to uh, run for mayor. And uh, it's me the Republican candidate versus the Working Families Party. And this is the defund our public safety, bring heroin injection sites into Philadelphia. Um, you, you know, this is the party that we are running against. So being able to not run against a, a Democrat is definitely something, like I feel the winds are at my back because a lot of people will shut down when you say, hey, I'm the Republican candidate. Um, or they'll be mad at you or they'll be mad about national politics. But the issues here in Philadelphia, they're not national politics. Right. They are people issues. You know, like you're talking about our public safety, our children's education and accountability in City Hall. So that's that's like looking at it that way. You know, that that is what I believe is going to be like number one, where you're not running against the machine. And look, number two. You have to go where no politician has gone before. You have to knock on these doors. You have to go in front of the people in the underserved neighborhoods. You have to be willing to show that you are fearless, that you are able to connect with the people. And this is what I've been doing every day for like me running for office. I feel like I'm still working my job. I'm just not selling real estate at this point. Um, I'm still trying to help people, still trying to solve problems trying to organize within the community, whether it's cleanups or stop the bleed training with my campaign. But, you know, being out here every day, talking to people, listening and uh, going into the neighborhoods where they're often forgotten. But I mean, that's that's the way we're going to start. And, you know, number two or number three, excuse me, the the old boys club, the you know, the gatekeepers that have been holding Philadelphia back and playing party politics and party politics have done nothing here except hold this city back for decades. That needs to change. And we need fresh ideas, new faces and people that are willing to work to show up because you get elected to be a public servant and you have to serve the people who voted for you, you have to serve the residents and not the big time donors and, you know, that's another thing. Being able to raise the money is, uh, as a Republican in Philadelphia, it's hard work. And, you know, I, I'd like to also say, you know, I'm a, I'm a Republican in Philadelphia and I'm doing this without the Philly GOP endorsement. I, I didn't seek the Philly GOP endorsement for, for this race and our values, our, our morals didn't align. And I, I wanted to 
go out there and, you know, not have people that I think are uh, giving information to your opponents. And, you know, you need to have people you trust and you need to have a group of people that are not willing to make those little side deals on the campaign um, that uh, come back and hurt you on Election Day. And, you know, I I realized that when I ran for state Senate. Where do you differ from the Philadelphia GOP? Where do I differ at? I mean, there's a trying to think of the of the first place to start at. I mean, look, I, I go out into the neighborhoods. I go out into the communities. I don't I don't only go to Republican events. I mean, if we're going to improve the the Republican Party here in Philadelphia, you can't spend all day long talking to Republicans. Right. I mean, you have to go out there and find the unregistered voters, find the independents talk to the Democrats that may not know what the Republican party has to offer. And that's another thing you have to be willing to solve problems. And, uh, like yesterday, for instance, you know, like you, you go door knocking, you meet a bunch of people and you have a list of things that people ask you to help with. You need to follow up on it. You need to constantly stay on top of this because if you want to win in Philadelphia, you got to show that, you can help people and you can solve these problems. So being a problem solver, not being afraid to talk to other people that are outside of the party. And look, you, you need, you, if you really want to do this, if you really want to run a campaign and kind of have the chips not stacked up in your favor, living a healthy lifestyle and oh, you know sobriety is key. Yep. It's key. And I, I really believe that separates me as well too. Well, I think that's uh you know, that's one of the things it's, it's really funny. I was writing things down before we started and I was thinking about, because I wanted to ask you about the mayor and what do I know about the mayor? Well, look, I, you know, I live in old city. He lives in old city. I see yeah. the, I see the mayor out drinking all the time. I'm also out drinking all the time, so I'm not <laughs> I'm not in any position to judge anybody on drinking, and I don't I don't bother him when he's out. You know, I I obviously have a a lot of things that I disagree with him on, but I I respect yeah. his private life whatever, but I also have friends, a lot of friends in uh, the restaurant industry in this city from years of working yeah. in the restaurant industry that tell me all he does is complain about his job. And I was thinking, you know, I wasn't going to say this, but I was just, now that you brought it up, I mean, I was thinking the guy is, not only is he miserable, but he doesn't look like he takes care of himself. And and yeah. this, this dovetails from a point I was talking about several podcasts ago where, you know, in the country in general, letting yourself go is also now being rewarded, right? You, you can't, yeah. you can't criticize somebody for being unhealthy, for not taking care of themselves for being overweight. It's no longer, it's no longer a virtue to try to keep yourself in good shape. And so, you know, I, I, I think that that's uh, I think it does make a difference. I Huge think difference because it shows that you respect yourself. And I think that's where you yep. have to start with any relationship, whether it's a political relationship, whether it's an intimate relationship, you have to respect yourself first. Let's talk about where your office is. Um, you are uh, west of Kensington Ave or uh, east? I am just east of Kensington Avenue. So Ruth Street is the s- small side street east of Kensington Avenue, and that's where my office is, Venango and Ruth Street. Okay, so when you see 
photos, when my listeners see photos of, you know, Philadelphia turning into the zombie apocalypse, just know that Sam's office is uh, not that far from where those videos are taken. And so while these other politicians are patting themselves on the back for riding the L once a year and getting a, uh, getting a photo <laughs> opportunity about it, uh, Sam's office is in uh, ground zero. Now, frankly... Sam probably has less to worry about from a personal safety perspective than, than the mayor, uh, because uh, I'm sure he, he feels a little bit more uh, confident, you know, in that area than the mayor probably would. But how do you stop that area is where a lot of the drug problem in this city is yep. located. Right. And yeah. you can feel it coming down. I mean, I ride the L every day. Right. So I can yep. I can see it coming down from the northeast as you know you approach second street and heading in through the city you can you can watch people i mean sept is a disaster there's rampant drug use on the subway uh i feel like if you strike at the heart of the problem up there you can kind of uh affect change right away so what's your plan to uh what's your plan to do that yeah so uh Number one, uh, I want everyone to know that I, I don't want to criminalize addiction. You know, it's it's not the addict who uh, I want to see thrown in jail. It's the person selling the drugs. Right. So if we're going to get drugs off the street here in Philadelphia, we have to first create an environment that's going to deter drug dealers from selling these absolutely dangerous narcotics that are killing people. I mean... It's not even heroin and not even fentanyl. It's tranquilizer. It eats their skin. It is a, um, and, and they're, the people here are completely powerless over the drug. And the majority of the people you see in Kensington addicted, it's not like they're the residents of Kensington. These are people that come here for the drugs, whether it be from the surrounding counties, from uh, Jersey. And yeah, you have Philly people here too, but it, it is a, it's, you can come here, you can buy and sell drugs without recourse. So creating that environment first um, is is a necessity. And we are short over 1,200 police officers. So um, being able to get our recruitment numbers up, so important, and making it so we're not lowering the standards to hire police officers. Like, we don't want, uh, you know, police officers that are, that are less qualified working here. We want, we want well-trained, well-equipped police officers in here in Philadelphia. And and I believe that's going to start with strong, effective leadership um, within our police department. I mean, we need, uh, you know, our police to feel supported by our police and also the district attorney where, you know, you you see an environment where there's almost an apathy that gets created because you're not going to get treated fairly if something bad happens. And also they're being told to stand down. So we have all these wonderful laws in Philadelphia. And if we just allowed the police to enforce those laws, uh, I believe things could change quickly. And it starts with the little things, you know, it starts with hop in the turnstiles. This was a big thing in New York a couple years ago, you know, where they they said, all right, well, we're we're not going to prosecute people for hopping the subway turnstile anymore. It's like, all right, well, you know, Chris, go ahead. Why don't you just, why don't you re-engineer the turnstile where people can't jump it? Like what, what, I don't understand why we don't start with just the simple things that can fix these little tiny crimes too. Like don't make a turnstile where people can jump over it. Yeah. That, that would be a great start. Um, 
Well, yeah, and the broader point, though, that I'm trying to make is like you're saying, you, you have to, and you have to be proactive. You know, like a couple months ago when there was a shooting on South Street, and for those yeah. of you that don't know Philadelphia, South Street used to be, you know, a, a part of the nightlife in Philadelphia. It's a lot of shops, a lot yeah. of restaurants. It was the place to go on the weekends, and it's devolving into a uh, demilitarized zone on Friday and Saturday nights with you know, dirt bikes and shootings. And uh, it, yeah. it's like something out of fucking Blade Runner. Pardon my language. I'm sorry. It's like something out of Blade Runner. And I said I wasn't going to curse on this podcast because when I'm talking to a politician, I know that, you know, I want to I show some respect or, or hopefully a future politician here in Philadelphia. But the point is we have to be we have to be proactive and not reactive. After that shooting yes. where the person was killed on at 4th and South, okay, which yeah. is a, the, the TLA's there, that, that's a touristy area. I saw a lot of police officers on South Street the next weekend. So I went up to them and I said, you know, it's nice to see you guys out here. And one of them said yeah. to me, one of them said to me, oh, I wish we were out here, you know, last weekend when that happened. Yep. So how do you how do you win back the trust of the police department in the city? Because you can tell they're frustrated. Yeah, I think it starts with strong, effective leadership. And I think Philadelphia suffers from a poor leadership problem. Um, there are many great choices that get overlooked to be the head of our police department. And I, I think it's time for that to change. Uh, uh, you know, the the way if you talk to anybody, at least for me, Chris, everyone I'm talking to, whether it's in you know our public schools, our police department, our uh, sanitation department, it comes down to poor leadership. It really does. It comes down to people who are in a position that really don't want to be there um, and aren't there to, you know, support the workers. So when we have an environment where our police, our sanitation, our teachers feel supported um, and feel like they are getting what they need and know if there's a problem, they they can hop on a phone call and talk to real leadership. Um, I, I really think it starts there and it, it sounds like, a very easy fix, and it is an easy fix. Yeah, sometimes we overthink things. You know, uh, when when you're uh, when you're in the cage, you know, and, and and you take one to the temple and you get knocked unconscious. That's a very quick consequence for not you know moving in the right direction, for not fainting in the right direction, right? So so that's yeah. uh, a cause and effect, and action and reaction, and sometimes. That's all it takes. You know, we, we've gone down with everything, with finance, with law enforcement. We've gone down this path of overthinking these problems. And, and to, to the point where you almost turn 180 degrees in the wrong direction, like you said, you know, providing needles, providing injection sites. You know, and look, I have, I have friends that are, have gone through sobriety programs that are sober, that advocate for those programs. And I'm sure that to a degree, they're helpful but that can't be, you know, the policy has to be get the drugs off the street first. Yes. The policy has yes. to be if you commit a violent crime, you know, you can't be let back out immediately. You can't be, yes. you know, afforded uh, breaks. Um, and so how are you going to hold yourself accountable? That's what I want to know. Yeah, so I can't possibly do it all of this by myself. Not one man can do all this. And, and that's why I am very fortunate to have an incredible team of, you know, two of, 
uh, my, my campaign chair and my campaign manager um, are both police officers. Um, they are current active police officers. And uh, having that perspective, um, you, you get to see what they're up against. You, you get to see how how anyone working any job would feel demoralized if they're not supported. If, you know, well, I could go arrest this guy, but what's the point? Um, or I could go out there and chase this person and try to stop him from doing a potential crime, but what's going to happen to me? Um, so it, having them on the team um, and having the access to their network where you actually get to see what's happening, how it's happening um, is, is so important to me. And, you know, it's one of the ways where I think I'm going to get it done. Um, and, and just even having that strong team, um, we, we recruited another person, Pat, who is a, you know, a Mayfair guy, went to Father Judge, and he is a uh, former Army Ranger. So I'm trying to surround myself with strong people that have the will and the desire to face these problems. And, uh, you know, we are motivated and Look, I don't do anything in my life unless I feel inspired to do it. And I have never been so inspired to spend this much time out in the streets of Philadelphia every day campaigning um, for a better future for us. Yeah, well, you certainly get that vibe from looking at your uh, looking at your social media. It looks like you're motivated and it looks like you want to be out there. And that's that in and of itself is you know, probably more than I can say for the mayor who did that interview recently and said, well, I can't wait to not be mayor anymore. So like that, that's not usually a good start. Um, how do you win back the trust of the people in the city that have been treated unfairly by the police? So I want to know, you know, look, it's great that you won the endorsement of yeah. uh, FOP Lodge 5 and the Penn Police, and it's great that you have police on your, uh, and look, I'm a law and order guy. Uh, but yep. there are people in the city and I'm one of them, you know, where I've had an incident where a police officer lied yep. about something that took place that was very distressing for a family member of mine. How do you win back the trust of people that have had issues like that and, you know, way worse issues than that with police officers and strike a balance? Absolutely. And that's key. That really is key. So, like I said, I work in Kensington every day and. I've been here every day for six years now. So w when I look at my experiences here, the majority of the people I work with every day, and I have been working with every day, are former uh, felons. They are people who have spent time in uh, federal prisons, and some people spent a lot of time that I work with on a regular basis um, and did real time in prison. So being able to understand their perspective, you know, that why they got arrested, what they were doing and what led them down that path um, has definitely opened my eyes. And it's really where I started at. Um, that's it's basically before I was attending FOP events and everything. Uh, it was uh, working in Kensington every day. Who do you think, uh, you know, the people uh, picking up the trash are, you know, uh, the, the laborers here every day working. Um, these are people who unfortunately made bad decisions so having that understanding having that perspective and, and knowing that punishment right proper punishment is part of the rehabilitation process where you do have that time to reflect and think about what you did so you can make better decisions and also being a former trade school 
um, you know, graduate, it's working in the trades gives people who were, let's say, a former drug dealer, right? Sure. Now you can learn learn a trade. You can work every day. You can start your own business, and you can actually earn money where you can have a good living, where you can support a family, um, where where you can feel happy and uh, fulfilled. So, um, you know, wanting wanting the trades to be reintroduced to um, people who were formerly incarcerated. But to, to get back to your question, though, um, the one individual that I've been working with a lot is Aronde McLean. He runs the McLean Foundation. When he was a 10-year-old boy, he was a victim of, of gun violence. He was shot in the back of the head on Choose Avenue. He died for two minutes and 17 seconds. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard in my whole entire life. Officer Chris Hilbert got him to the hospital, which normally would have been a 12-minute ride in 90 seconds. Um, and that was when we had a fully staffed police department in Philadelphia. So what me and Aranda do is we, we really try to work on that relationship to where members of the community who feel they, uh, you know, were, were taken advantage of by a police officer or don't have the best relationship. It's, it's something that we are actively trying to work on and trying to, uh, grow those relationships because the people who are suffering the most are the ones that are living in those neighborhoods that are, that may not have the best perspective of the police, but are the most dependent on the police for their safety right now. All right. Well, let's step off the, uh, let's step out of the comfort zone here and just touch on a couple more issues. Uh, in the, uh, national media right now, we're having, we're in the midst of, uh, a a developing crisis in the, uh, financial world where, uh, where our federal government and federal reserve are, are stepping in collectively with some, larger banks to help provide assistance to regional banks that are starting to uh, undergo some serious stress. And I just, in general, you know, look, if you want to put more police on the street in Philadelphia, you're going to need more money. You're going to need to be able to pay those people. You're going to need to be able to incentivize, you know, you're talking about hiring the best that costs money. Everything costs money right now. Taxes in the city are burdensome, uh, which would be, uh, I think an understatement, so uh, economically, what's your thinking uh, for the city of Philadelphia and then maybe even uh, on a broader perspective uh, for the nation, uh, how do you see striking a balance economically? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, number n- number one with what you're saying, um, we, we had a 10 year tax abatement um, that worked perfectly. Um, it was a for 10 years, you were basically not paying no real estate taxes, but an abated portion. Um, city city council tried to dissolve that completely, but they changed it to where it's a step up. So um, you start off, you're paying nine, uh, 10% of the tax and then stepping it up. But having those tax incentives to bring people here to want to build, to want to invest their money. And look, Philadelphia survives off the of the schools and our hospitals. But I mean, we are located in between New York City and Washington, DC. We have never scratched the surface of our potential here. We have poverty underneath our L and we have an underdeveloped waterfront. Um, Put it this way. I want big companies that are gonna offer good paying jobs to wanna come here to Philadelphia and wanna give these jobs to our residents um, instead of making it where 
look, Wawa's leaving, Target's leaving. I know. All of these – because it's unsafe, because it's dangerous. So, I mean, uh, this is why I'm so big on public safety because with if we don't start there, nothing else will really matter. But we need to incentivize these companies to want to come to Philadelphia and want to set their roots here and want to develop here. And look, we've been sitting at 1.6 million people for – for too long we're losing we're losing our population we should be growing our population um but we have a uh, you know people we have a leadership that rather play you know party politics than than to bring philadelphia up um as far on a on a on a broader scale with everything uh, it's something that it's hard to wrap my head around sometimes it, it really is when you see what is happening um I mean, did you foresee this happening? What? The banking crisis? Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. I don't know how they expected this to sustain. And look, it stems from poor leadership when the coronavirus got here. I mean, we're, we're going to be paying for this. Our children are going to be paying for this. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by poor leadership when the coronavirus got here? How does it stem from uh, that? Sh- Shutting down businesses, allowing allowing crime to run rampant, um, destroying the relationship with our police officers, printing money um, like uh, like it's not going to affect us later. Shutting businesses down. Um, all of this, all of this. This was this is really the inspiration for me to run. This is why I ran for state senate last year. So in Philadelphia, where you you know you want this tax abatement, which is a great idea. And I'm always for lower taxes, but you have to make up the difference somewhere. So how do you how do you rejigger the the budget to be able to put into place, you know, the the public safety programs that you want and to incentivize these come because we're going to look like San Francisco soon where, you know, all major corporations are moving out of San Francisco. And I don't know if you've been there recently, but I mean, it's just the city. You might as well. I mean, the city's toast for like you know, the next 20 or 30 years until they refigure a lot of things out. You know, how how do you stop that from happening? How do you fund these uh, tax abatements? Like where does the, where does the revenue come from, from the city? We're already paying taxes on soda, you know, and everything else. What do do we do? Do we cut spending or do we, uh, or do we increase revenue? So the first part of my crime plan, I, I guess I failed to mention this is, you know, I don't believe Philadelphia by itself, just the city alone is going to be able to handle this problem, especially the issue we're facing in Kensington and how it's right. You can't contain it here. So step one, what really is declare a state of emergency, right? Um, having access to that, uh, you know, our federal and state agencies that can come in here and that can help us start to clean this up. Um, and, and, uh, put in those programs that we need right now um, to, to get the narcotics off the street, to get people into treatment. So, um, you know, really starting there at least is uh, kind of the way I see it. Cause it's, it's not, it's not something we can handle just by ourselves. I mean, we're understaffed. We are in, in almost every department Our L and I, I think we're down to about five agents right now that are going to be able to inspect buildings. Um, so, it's a it's a crisis on on like 
every department at this point. Sam, uh, one more issue I want to touch on with you, and I appreciate your time. We'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up uh, into this last issue here. Is I, w- I want to talk to you about social issues. Uh, I want to talk to you about where you stand um, on, on on the entire breadth of social issues. Philly's a very liberal yeah. city. We have a very diverse population here. We got all yeah. types of races, colors, creeds, religions, sexuality. Uh, I want to talk about where you stand on issues of uh, the uh, transgender uh, sports participation, being a fighter. Uh, you know, I certainly know where I stand watching a uh, – a woman get into the cage with a biological man. I find that yeah. disturbing. I'd be interested in your thoughts, but also, uh, you know, to what degree that needs should be embraced in schools. How do you feel about uh, the idea of, uh, you know, basically uh, legalizing uh, all types of, uh, you know, social marriages, those types of contracts? Uh, what's your stance on all these social issues? So I'm pro human rights. I'm pro uh, individual freedoms. Um, and, and that is, you know, in the, one of the big reasons why I am a Republican. Um, so as far as, you know, what you were saying about, look, whoever you want to marry, sure. Go, go ahead. I mean, that's not what I'm, what I'm concerned about or, or, or really what I'm fighting for. Um, as far as, you know, biological men playing in women's sports, if you want, I mean, I don't understand why we just can't have it where, uh, look, you have women's sports, you have men's sports, and then you can have whatever other sports you want, whatever other leagues you want, go ahead and create it, go ahead and start it. Um, but if a, if a biological woman wants to only compete against biological women, I think that is, uh, um, something she should have the right to. And, uh, I, I don't think it is something that, um, you should, you, we should be forced to take away from them too. So um, again, this is a, it's a very slippery slope and city politics. Like you have, there's very little that you can do anyway, but I mean, if you want to know where I stand on that, I mean, it it is where I stand. Um, I, I believe we need to protect women's sports and there's no reason why you can't have uh intermixed league. If you want you, 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 you can have this. You can do this. Um, we can take the initiatives. But, I, you know, whenever I talk about, like, national politics, I feel like it just gets in the way of the uh, of what's going on in Philadelphia. Um, and and it, it, it stops us from really being concerned about the issues. But I, I'm not going to stop somebody. If a man wants to change their sex and vice versa, I'm, I'm not going to stand in their way. I'm not going to try to stop them. I'm not going to call them names. Um, I believe I am very open-minded. I am very supportive. And like I said, I'm, I'm pro, I'm pro personal freedom. So, um, but there there are biological differences between men and women. There are. Um, and I just don't want to put women in harm's way. I really don't. It's an interesting issue because, and and it falls under a bigger umbrella of just identity politics in general. Because, you, you know, as somebody who trains regularly, like I, I know there are women out there that can beat the shit out of me. I, there are biological, <laughs> there are biological women who are black belts who are you know twenty pounds lighter than me that can mangle me. You know, and, and so it's an interesting issue because like when you're at the gym. 
you know, really the only currency you have is what you have on the mat. And when you train, I don't know what your experience has been, but I've said on the podcast before, when I go in to get a workout in, whether I'm going to Muay Thai class or I'm just going to lift weights or whatever, you know, there, there is nobody in the gym that is talking about what sex, what race, what color, what religion anybody yeah. is. Everybody's just there to train, which is why, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, has that been your experience as a pro fighter? <clears throat> Absolutely. I, I always thought like martial arts and fighting, it was the great equalizer. Like it took all of that out of the picture and it put you against other people and it, you, you didn't care about any of the details. And it's something that like, it, it's something that has always been uh, like, like for me, for instance, right. My last name's uh, Oropesa. So I have a, I have a Spanish last name. So everybody thinks like, Oh yeah, you're, like, but my, no, my mom's name was Kathy and she's, she's Irish and Dutch and all that. You know what I mean? So people want an, a certain identity and they want it. Um, they want to th kind of throw it in your face sometimes. And to me, at least uh, it's just something that uh, like, it's not, it's not that it's not important, but it's not the number one thing on my head that I need to know when I talk to somebody or when right. I meet them. And that's what I loved about training because you actually got to see people's character. And then, uh, for instance, like going to balance, right. And training, you, you didn't realize you were training with a doctor and that guy's sitting there asking you for advice. Right. And one, one day you like kind of get an idea. Like, I wonder what this guy does. And you find out this guy's a doctor. <laughs> Next person is a, a, a millionaire developer. And he's asking you for help on how to do a technique. And you're sitting there like, you know, it, it hits you some of these days where uh, that's what I loved about training. I never it's not that I didn't care what they did, but it wasn't we were there training. We were there for a goal and all of that other nonsense didn't matter. Isn't that isn't that great, too, that you can sit there and you can have a conversation with somebody for 15 minutes about, you know, an injury that they have or a technique or even whatever the Eagles or what they're doing that weekend and then, uh, you know, you ask, I mean, uh, I think, it, I think Mark Vetri, uh, was there one day, the, the guy that owns the restaurant. I, I, yeah. Does he train? Is he a black belt? He trained with Rick and Phil for a little yeah, while. I okay. don't know if he still I, does, but he was there for a little bit. But I was like shooting the shit with him one day at an open mat, you know, just like, Hey, you know, some regular, like middle-aged man, whatever, you know, well, Lex Friedman would be there. I mean, I would roll with Lex Friedman. I had no clue. I was rolling with uh, <laughs> and the I number guy, one like, guy for robotics. So like, it's I'm amazing. Like, what do you do? You know, he's like, ah, oh, you know, I own a bunch of restaurants. It's like, oh, which one? You know, it's like, oh, you're Mark Vetri. Oh, okay, cool. And that that was like, <laughs> that was always the, you know, that's that's one of the great things about training is, you know, it, your, your currency is only what you what you have on the mat. And I think that makes a broader point. It, it strikes a broader chord in terms of the importance of meritocracy, you know, and the in the importance of uh, getting ahead based on your skill set and not not necessarily your identity look effectiveness and results matter and this is this is what we need right now we we need people like i shouldn't have to form my office around picking people of certain identities right if people of certain identities can get results i want them on my team but i'm not sitting there saying i need to check this box for me to run for office exactly. it's, I, I want people that are here for the 
the good of all of us and can get it that can get work done and can solve problems. All right, very last question and an easy one. Did I'm guessing because you just said sobriety that this wasn't you, but did I see you at Maniac Tavern like two or three nights ago or was that somebody that just looked like you? I I get that all the time there. I have many doppelgangers. All right, I mean, so it wasn't. Wasn't me, no. Nah, that's all right because I never see it. I wasn't going to go say something, but he looked just like you and he had cauliflower ear and I was like, yeah, you know, that might be Sam. I was going to go say, hey, but you look like you're – talking to somebody, but it wasn't you anyway. So there you go. That was an easy question to end on. Sam, listen, man, I wish you the best of luck. I really do. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, where can people go if they're interested in checking out your campaign and, and where you stand on the other issues? So if you if you go to my social media, Sam or Pisa PHL, um, you can find me Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all on that. You're on TikTok? Um, my- on TikTok, because you, hey, 18 to uh, 24 is the biggest voting demographic in, or the second biggest voting demographic in Philadelphia right now. Um, <laughs> Be careful what you, you know, put in the direct messages and put on TikTok. You know, the, the Chinese government has access to it, just so you know. No, I know. It's just videos of uh, what are already on Facebook and Twitter. So, <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Citizens for Sam or Pisa. Uh, dot com is the website, and if you want to, if you want to get in touch with me, citizens for Sam or Pisa at gmail dot com. All right, awesome, and I'll put that information in my podcast description. So if my listeners want to reach out, they can. But uh, listen, man, I appreciate you taking an hour of your time today. I wish you the best of luck. Maybe we'll do it again before uh, before the election. When is the election? It's not. It's not for May six. May. May 16th. We're two months away from the primary. Um, I need every registered Republican to show up and vote for Sam Orpiza and only Sam Orpiza. And November 7th is the uh, general. You're number six on the line, right? I saw somebody put on Twitter. Yeah. So I'm at the bottom, but, you know, uh, you just got to look. You just got to look down the ballot a little bit. You'll see. That's all right. And only one way to go, baby. Up. (laughs) That's right. Sam, I appreciate you, man. Take care, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon, all right? All right, thank you. See you. Take care. All right, that was the one, the only, Sam Orpiza. Fantastic speaking to him. Maybe we'll get a chance to speak to him again before the election. Uh, you know, look, I read through Sam's stuff. I, I didn't know him. Somebody I knew followed him on Twitter, so I checked his stuff out. I mean, he looks like he's got his shit together, and uh, – Man, the city needs it desperately. So it was great speaking to him. And uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Thanks for uh, enduring an hour of uh, political chat. We usually don't do that, but something a little bit different for the weekend. All right, fools. I'm out of here. I'll have something new very soon. Actually, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll take a week off. (laughs) I'm going to have a beer now. Peace.